Once when we were on holiday down south, we had the radio on in the car. We were listening to the RTE news, and there was a report on the news bulletin that really amused us because it was a reporter talking about a court case somewhere in rural Ireland, and he was reporting that the judge had said about the defendant that the defendant had lost the run of himself. And I just loved that phrase. I thought, that's brilliant, that not only does that phrase make it into a court case on the record, but then it makes it onto the RTE news as well. Well, we sometimes talk about people along those kinds of lines. We, we sometimes look at people and we see the way their life is going. And we, we say to someone, she's lost the plot. That guy there, he's making it up as he goes along. And then we begin to look at our society, the society that we are part of, the society that we live in, and we see so much that seems to be wrong with our society. We see how it is a society that often lacks compassion for those who are marginalized and those who are poor, whether that be people within that society or from elsewhere in the world. And we're certainly aware of the confusion that there seems to be within our society when it comes to some of the big issues of the day, whether that's gender identity or marriage. And we conclude about our society that it has lost the run of itself. The people have lost the plot. That it's as if people are making it up as they go along. Well, tonight I want to take you back to around 1,300 years before Christ was here on the earth, ministering and living here in the world. I want to take you back to a time of the judges, these rulers who God provided for His people. And when you look at the time of the judges, you see that it was a time when Israel had lost the run of itself. It was a time when God's people had lost the plot. It was as if the, the people of God, the children of Israel, were making it up as they went along. And over the, the next number of Sunday evenings, we're going to spend time together looking at the book of Judges. And it's maybe helpful tonight as we begin to do that to explain a little bit about where this fits in to my preaching here in Connor. And just like my predecessors, I want to give a rich diet from God's Word. I want us to look at many different parts and places in the Scriptures that we are committed here to the whole counsel of God, that we really see that God is speaking to us in every part of His Scriptures, both Old and New Testaments. And when we begin to think about where this then fits into the overall story of the Bible, we'll think about some of the things that we have been looking at in recent years. Most recently, we took time to think about Joseph. We thought about his dysfunctional family, this family of Jacob, and the place that they had in God's plan. And we ended that story in Egypt. And if you can then think your way back to early in my ministry here, we considered that time in Egypt. We considered 
what it was like for the children of Israel as they longed to be able to leave that land and get away from the slavery that they were in. And I want you to remember the overall story of the Bible, that the things that we read in the coming weeks as we look together at the book of Judges are part of a much bigger story. It's that big story of God's salvation, the rescue of His people. And when we look at this big overall story of the Old Testament, well, it's, it's a story of two contrasting things. It is a story of the people's failure. And it's also especially a story of God's faithfulness. And let's quickly consider that as we, we think about the story so far, as we think about the story of God's dealings with His people up to this point that we come to tonight in the book of Judges. So, let's very quickly, first of all, think about God's faithfulness. And we have seen the way in which God is faithful to His people, that He set apart a people who would show His glory to the world. How did He do that? Well, He made Himself known to these people, first of all to Abraham and then later to Jacob. And we read that He enters into covenant with them, that He gives a promise to both of these men that their descendants would become a great nation. And what we get to see in Scripture is that God is utterly faithful in keeping these promises. He goes to great steps in order to fulfill His promises made to Abraham and Jacob. You think about the book of Exodus and some of the incredible steps that God went to, the miraculous things that He did, the spectacular things that He did in order to bring His people out of Egypt and towards the land that He promised them. And now at this point in the story, as we come to the time of the judges, God's people are now in this land, this promised land that God spoke about. So we get to see so clearly God's faithfulness, but we also remember that this is a story of the people's failure. The people that we're talking about are the children of Israel, the, the descendants of Abraham and Jacob, also known as Israel. And remember that they were set apart by God. Why were they set apart? Well, as Isaiah later tells us, they were set apart to be a light to the nations, that they would stand out from their neighbors, that they would show the other nations, they would show the rest of the world who God is and what He's like by the way in which they lived. And the point that we need to keep in mind is that they had utterly failed in this task. Sometimes we hear people say, or you can see memes online, you had one job. And, you know, you see the spectacular failure of someone in the task that they were given. And the response is, maybe you've heard that in work, or you've said that about someone in work. They've really messed up. And you say, you know what? You had one job, one thing to get right. And the children of Israel 
had one job, one role given to them by the Lord, and they failed. So that by the time of the judges, what happens is they have become exactly like the nations around them. They are idolaters. They, they give themselves over to the worship of the gods of their neighbors, and no one can see the difference anymore. So tonight, as we come for the first time to the book of Judges, well, let's consider these two big themes as we encounter them right at the beginning of this story that we're going to be looking at. And so we start with the people's failure at this time. And it's so important that we consider this book in the right way, in one, in a way that will benefit us and therefore bring God glory. And the thing is, if we were just to consider this part of the story, if we got no further than looking at and thinking about the people's failure, well, that would be absolutely useless for us because there is nothing redemptive or helpful in that. There is no hope in that whatsoever. So we need to remember that this is only half the story, but what a half it is. Because as you'll discover in the coming weeks, there are plenty of failings to focus on. And once again, we are confronted with a messy book. We think back to the series in Genesis on Joseph and his dysfunctional family. We think about some of those stories where we were half covering our eyes or our ears as we heard about some of the things that were going on. And I just give you the warning now, once again, we are confronted with these things in the book of Judges. We meet lots of dysfunctional, sinful people, and we encounter stories that we could be inclined to avoid, that we might think are not good PR for the Bible and for the faith that we talk about. And let's remember the background here that God has given this nation, He has given these people a calling. And it's such a basic and fundamental calling. The calling is, and it's recorded in Scripture, be holy because I am holy. That is God's calling to His people. Be like me. Show me to the world. And not only that, in His grace, He has given them rules to live by. He's given them commandments and laws that would enable them to then fulfill their calling and to know God's blessing as they lived within His framework. So that's what God has done in His grace. And yet here is the reality as we meet these people here in this chapter, chapter 2, verse 10. And by the way, the verses that we're looking at tonight are from chapter 2, unless otherwise stated. Well, listen to the summary of the situation that God's people are in, in verse 10. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, that is the generation of Joshua and the others who had entered into the promised land, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. So just to locate this in time, 
This is well after the death of Moses, and it is soon after the death of Joshua. And we know how those men had faithfully served the Lord, how they had led the people in the Lord's ways. And yet, look at the situation now, and look at that verse. And what you get to see is that just one generation later, there is a generation of people who are completely ignorant of who the Lord is and what He has done for them. And I hope that we can note that tonight, how quickly things can change. So quickly. And I would argue tonight that what we read here in the book of Judges helps us to understand what we are experiencing and seeing here in Northern Ireland right now. Because at times we're staggered by how quickly things are changing. We know what our wee country is like. That by nature it's been a, a fairly conservative country for better and for worse. We know that we're always a couple of steps behind the rest of the, 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 the nation, the mainland as we talk about, so that when we have people who move to London and then they come back here, sometimes they laugh at stuff about Northern Ireland and they say, oh, I can't believe you don't have this or you're not doing that. And that works for better and for worse. And yet so, so quickly in our society, it seems to be almost that people are clambering to, to move ahead in terms of the, the social laws and the social changes in our land. So that all of a sudden, we could be facing abortion laws here in Northern Ireland that would be the most liberal in the whole of the UK. And people, we need to be alert to the reality that all of a sudden, there are generations, I'm saying generations, not just one generation, not just the generation coming through, there are generations of people right in this area who know nothing of God's Word. They know nothing of the gospel. They know nothing about the Lord Jesus. And I'm sure Tommy will not mind me repeating what he was telling us online in the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, the two fellows who called to his door and as Tom was explaining to them who, who he is and what he does, they had no concept, no concept of what it's all about. And I've conducted funerals in this area, in the Bible Belt, as it was once described, where people have no awareness of the Scriptures, no knowledge of God, no understanding of Jesus. And at various points in this book, a summary is given of what this society was like. For example, in chapter 17, verse 6, then again in chapter 21, verse 25. And it describes what the time was like. It says, in those days, the days just as the judges were coming into the scene, onto the scene. In those days, Israel had no king. And then this is the bit, everyone did as he saw fit. 
Or tonight, if you're reading from the King James Version or from the ESV, it's put like this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, folks, is that not a perfect summary of where we are at, of our time, of our society? And that's why this book, like all of Scripture, is incredibly relevant. It is not my job as a preacher to make God's Word relevant. It is relevant. The only thing I can do is mess it up and make it seem outdated. And that's exactly one of the reasons why we're looking at this particular book in this time. But the wonderful thing is, as we'll discover, that within this book, we get to meet a remnant of God's people who are faithful, people who continue to seek to live by God's laws. And they provide for us a brilliant example as we navigate our way through our time and our society as Christians, as people who, while we often fail, are committed to God's laws and try and work out, how do I live in this country right now? What am I meant to do? How am I meant to respond to all of this change? How can I still in some way live in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God and showing Jesus to others? And another repeated phrase in this book, it's one that we encounter in this passage here. If you look again in chapter 2 at verse 11, we're told that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And I would want to say this evening, that is such a helpful and an instructive phrase for us to consider. It really, again, helps us to understand so much about our society and about our place in it. Because this is an objective truth that goes against what our society has become like. Because for our society, it's what I reckon is right. It's what I reckon is wrong. It's what we're constantly told. I will live life the way I see it. And you live life the way you see it. But here is an objective measure. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so I throw out the challenge tonight. Are you listening to the world more than you're listening to the Word? Do you seek to live according to what you think is right or wrong? Or are you seeking to live by what you know the Lord tells you is right and wrong? So, in essence, is it a case of your eyes or His eyes? That's what it comes down to. There are two ways to live. You will either live according to what you see and your eyes and what you decide is okay or right, or you will do it according to His eyes and what He tells us is right and wrong. Judges is a story of the people's failure. And therefore, it's a story that reminds us of our own stories, doesn't it? Because we are failures, we are sinful, we are people so much in need of God's grace. But it's also a story of God's faithfulness. 
And if we were just to concentrate on the people's failure, then we would miss out on so much. Because what we are reading here in the coming weeks is part of a much bigger and a greater story of a faithful God who saves. And here in this passage, we get a flavor of his character and his actions. If you look at the chapter again, if you scan down through verses 10 to 15, we're given this great summary of the period immediately following Joshua's death. And it's a time that is characterized, first of all, by idolatry. We're told in verse 12 that the children of Israel followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. And you'll get to see that idolatry is a constant theme. It is a constant feature in this book and during this period. And why was it so bad? Why does God make such a big thing of idolatry? Well, because this is God's people doing the polar opposite of what they were called to do. Remember, they had one job, and this is them being the exact opposite of what their calling was. Just like their neighbors, just like the pagans around them, worshiping false gods, forsaking their Lord, the one true God, Yahweh. And the other thing about this summary here is that because of their idolatry, because of their rebellion, it provoked the Lord to withdraw His blessing and His protection. And what I want you to see, if you can just scan down through these verses with me, is that the Lord's response to their idolatry is active. It's not passive. And let me explain what I mean. It's not just that the Lord sits back and He thinks, well, they've been rebels against me. They've forsaken me, so I'm just going to chill out here and sit back, and I'm just going to leave them to their own devices. At times, God did that in the dealings with His people, but here, it's something much more. His response is active, so that if you look at verse 14 and verse 15, pretty shocking phrases here. In verse 14, the Lord handed them, who? His people, over to raiders. Then in verse 15, whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them. Who? Their enemies? No. The hand of the Lord was against Israel to defeat them. So that we're told in verse 15 that the result was they were in great distress. And then we're given a summary of God's act of faithfulness in this book. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. And we're going to, we're going to get to meet these judges in the coming weeks. They're not judges as we understand that, that job description and that word. They weren't wearing big wigs and making verdicts or passing verdicts on people. No, they were essentially leaders. And while many of them did heroic things, what you need to know is they are not actually the heroes of this book. God is. That's the big headline. That's the great truth. The Lord is the real hero of this book. 
because he puts them in place for the good of his people. He puts these judges in place because of the love that he has for his people. And I want you to see that one of the roles that the judges had was to reinforce God's rules, was to bring back order to a society that had forgotten God's laws. So consider that, that this was an act of compassion. It was an act of love that God put judges in authority over his people. And I wonder, do we ever see things in that way? Do you regard God's rules as loving? So often we consider God's law to be restrictive. We barely ever consider it to be something that is given to us out of love. And God puts these judges in place as his way of saving And we need to know that it is his work, that the the saving in this story is God's work. So that if you look at verse 18 and the summary of this time, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned. The Lord provides his people with someone to save them. And in fact, one of those judges that he raises up, one of the the best known ones, Samson, later says in chapter 15, verse 18, addressing the Lord, he says, you have granted this great salvation. It's a great summary of all of this book. And as we come to an end tonight, We see that phrase there in our own Bibles or on the screen. We hear that phrase, this great salvation. And inevitably, it turns our thoughts to Jesus. It causes us to look again upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what we will discover about the judges in the coming weeks is that while they were used by God to save people, they were flawed saviors. In fact, we mentioned Samson. He's a good example. They were in need of God's rescue themselves. They were flawed people. And they ruled and they guided for a limited time as long as they were alive. That's why you'll see a big list of judges all the way through this book. And because of that, they they provided limited rescue because as soon as they were no longer around, the cycle continued. If you look at it with me in verse 19, look at what we're told there. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So in other words, because these judges were not permanent, as soon as a judge disappeared from the scene of time, it just went back to all of the same problems, all of the same sin, all of the same rebellion. So that's the story of the judges. But now, as we finish 
Think about our Lord Jesus. By contrast, He is a perfect Savior. He lived the sinless life that made Him a worthy sacrifice, so that at the cross, it really was the case of the righteous for the unrighteous. And we know Him to be the eternal King who will reign forever with all His Father's authority. And that means that we don't need to have a succession of priests, that we have a permanent eternal priest who is speaking up on our behalf when we have trusted in Him and been saved by His blood. And we know of Jesus that the salvation that He provides is permanent and full salvation. That at the cross, when He cried out, it is finished, it was Him saying, it is done, the job is complete. Nothing that needs to be added, no new saviors that need to come along. I have done it all. I have paid the price. And here's what this means for us who believe in Him. If, if you believe in Him, that the wonderful thing is that we can become what God's people of the Old Testament fail to be. That as redeemed people in Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ together, well, we can be that light to the nations that God always intended His people to be. What a story this is. We haven't even really got started. So this is not just some oil history book. It's not just something that you dust off and have a look at and think, well, those were good stories or those were shocking stories. This is the gospel. This points us to Christ. And we give thanks to God for His Word. Amen.